Down to Business with Bobby Kerr on News Talk. First up, though, we'll take a look at the business stories that are exercising the country and indeed the world. Joining me this morning are Susan Hayes Culleton, the Positive Economist, and MD of Hayes Culleton, and Bob Hoffman of Vista Executive Search. You're both very welcome to the programme. Morning, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby. After a stormy, windy night, um, with uh, thankfully we're seeing the storms abating. You heard it there from Ellen on the news, power shortages. But the only thing in today's papers of major significance is RTE, Tuberty, Backhorst. It's, I think we're coming to the end of the story, Bob, but it really, really has been a roller coaster for all involved. But there's a lot to learn from this. And we were talking about it before we went on air. You know, one of the basic rules of negotiation is do not do it in public. I mean, whether you're having a disagreement with your neighbour over the garden fence or Putin and Zelensky, you do not negotiate in, in public. And that's what they did. And unfortunately, Ryan and his advisors seem to have made a schoolboy error. So effectively, it looked like a deal was was cemented in, in, in all but name. And then on Wednesday, I think it was, the uh, Tuberty released a Grant Thornton report statements showing him largely in a positive light and thus RTE in not so positive a light. And I think Backhurst just said, right, enough's enough. Uh, there's a trust issue here. So I'm afraid Tuberty had success in his hands and let it slip through. Um, I think uh, Finan Sheehan points out that being the face of the scandal made uh, Ryan Tuberty target of all aspects of it. Uh, whether or not he was to blame or not. I, I personally think there's a valid argument in that. And the report from Grant Thornton, Susan, it did suggest that uh, Tuberty had nothing to do with the misrepresentation of his salary between 2017 and 19. So he, he hadn't changed his position. But I think stating it again was really where what, 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 what ultimately became his undoing. It seems the statement that came out on the day that the the proposal to bring him back on air was going to be discussed and then it was going to be brought to, uh, I won't call them the board obviously because they're not in place yet, but to, to bring it to the people who are going to agree on this. But this is the line. Uh, it is also clear from my that my actual income from RT in 2020 and 2021 matches what was originally published as my earnings for those years. And the problem is, is that, of course, this doesn't take into account the Renault or Renault, depending on your pronunciation, um, deal. And that this seems to be a really key issue. But there's there's other figures, of course, that were out this week that I just want to highlight. And that is, of course, the JNLR figures. I mean, the reality is, is that a talent will not now be returning to the radio. And that means 334,000 listeners won't be listening to Ryan Tuberty anymore, the second most listened to show on RT After Morning Ireland. So I think at this stage, indeed, looking forward, is we now ask the question, what next for Tuberty? But also, who next will be sitting in that seat? Yeah, uh, and I think uh, uh, I think Backhurst has shown, uh, Matt Cooper pointing out in today's mail, uh, Backhurst proves he's not to be messed with. I would say that his communication, particularly that interview he did with Sarah McInerney, he was on News Talk Breakfast here. A guy answers the questions. He was asked a question and he answered it. He has come across as, as decisive and you got to take his hat off to his stakeholder management. If you think about it, he's juggling the regulator, the government, the advertisers, the unions, the staff, 
other media outlets, uh, the public, his own board. So he, he it's stakeholder management at a, at a, a very sophisticated level. But, um, you know, they say we Irish invented procrastination. He's made a decision. you got to give him credit for that. But you have to say that he has won the battle, but both himself and RTE and Tuberty have lost the war because mm-hmm. this is a bad result for everybody. OK, but what I'd like to make a point on and this is that the reality is, I, let me quote another number this week, there was a 37 percent drop in the number of TV licence fees payments in the first week of August in comparison to the same week last year. There is no doubt about it, RT is not going to be sustainable on the basis of that. So unless he shows that he's willing to talk to whoever he needs to talk to, stakeholders internally and externally and show what needs to be done indeed to make RT fit for purpose, well then the the organisation would really have big questions to face. And certainly I found it interesting that of course in Sarah McInerney's case she was interviewing our boss, Bobby, during that conversation as well. Their stakeholder management, if we ever saw it. But she did it very impartially. And she, <laughs> she did, did it. And she should. She, and she did it. And and again, the question, and this is the other thing now, is that now the benchmark, that figure that was agreed with Ryan Tuberty, is that now the benchmark for all the presenters? And that's another big part of the message. Well, it is. That, I mean, and he said it. He said that whenever uh, contract negotiations come up, we'll be dealing with that issue. So there's a lot of presenters out there who might be slightly concerned about their salary uh, potential going forward. The Danish uh, national broadcaster has the exact same population as Ireland and their people are on uh, 60 to 120,000. So their maximum employee earns 120,000 and that's the Danish version of RTE for the exact same population. Well, again, you you know, it's, it's easy to look in hindsight, but when... When performance is measured, as you mentioned, JNLR figures, mm-hmm. when it's measured by that, when there's a commercial interest, you know, the people who bring in the best numbers are going to command the best salaries. But I think that environment might be changing because mm-hmm. they're going to decouple the commercial. Exactly. Uh, and this is the big thing. And this is what they're going to do, yes. I think. They're going to decouple the commercial revenue streams with the uh, presenter salaries. And I think... Uh, for many presenters, that's going to be bad news. Well, this is going to, but this is again coming back to the public. When you decouple the commercial side with the public service broadcasting side, well, then you have two very different values. And this is what I think is really going to be a key outcome of this conversation. So, the hundred and seventy thousand euro price tag for for the presenter's role is certainly a big change. But you're now looking at a very different organisation, or so it should be, anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this uh, uh, this this story has much more to run. I think there'll probably be another few bits uh, and pieces to see. But uh, my God, I'd, let's move on. Yeah. Um, right. What's our next story? Uh, the Bank of Ireland yeah. um, IT outage. It, it, Bobby, it's 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 uh, Groundhog Day. I mean, it only seems like a couple of weeks ago, and it literally was um, on the last day of June, which, of course, is the end of the last day of the month, last day of the quarter, and last day of the half year for businesses. Uh, Bank of Ireland systems went down again. So as the minister, the finance minister, uh, Michael McGrath, has said, there has been too many incidents of IT glitches at the nation's banks. And Miles O'Grady, their, their relatively new CEO, has come out with his hands up and said, look, you know, banking is based on reputation and trust. And clearly the, the bank had a bad day. I have some sympathy for these banks. They're basically working on too many legacy systems that all have to talk to each other. And it must be chaos. But Bank of Ireland are three to four years now doing this IT upgrade. 
it's not going well. I mean, nobody can describe it. The N26 and Revoluts of this world are starting with a blank sheet of paper, brand new systems, and they only offer a tenth of the services that a bank offers. But it is a bad day for Ireland on the international stage because all those scenes of people who thought they were magically getting a thousand euros went viral around the world. Yeah. And did not put us in a good light. What about that, Susan? Uh, I saw some German newspapers basically laughing at us in terms of, you know, you know, you talk about leprechaun economics and, you, you know, internationally, do we need to be concerned? Like, I think, you know, of all things that, you know, people need, you know, security and, you know, comfort around is that if you put your money into a bank, that it's going to be safe. I think the people who first of all need to be concerned here are people who genuinely thought it was free money and it won't count in their account, particularly if it wasn't there in the first place. Well, it was and never free. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it is never free. I mean, there will be a record of it, but particularly in case that you might think that, okay, well, I don't need to pay it back because it was Bank of Ireland's issue, is that this can, of course, affect your credit rating. And if you are going for a loan later on down the road, that's something that you certainly need to bear in mind. I think we also need to be considered the fact, of course, that banks need to differentiate themselves. And Bank of Ireland has differentiated itself by its digital presence. And it has, of course, been shutting down unifysical branches around the country so that it could become more digitally available. And that is the issue, particularly for the bank, is that if you are going to go down the road of your USP in, in this regard, unique selling point in this regard, well, then, of course, you do need to back that up as well. Yeah. Um, internationally, look, I think it's a, it's a, it's a small story in, in many ways. It doesn't help us, of course, but I certainly would be reinforcing the point. It's the people who took the money out who don't think Bank of Ireland will remember. They will. Yeah, yeah absolutely, they will. Um, let's stay with banks for a minute because uh, another story that caught my eye was <clears throat> without competition, banks won't hike savings rate. ECB chief economist says, um, and that that man being Philip Lane, a man uh, well known in these parts. So, Bob, we now, I think 10 years ago, we might have had, what, 15 banks in, in, the, in the Irish banking landscape. Now we've got three. Yeah, so of course, this is an, an article by Sarah Collins and Philip Lane, for those who, who remember the name, I can't place it, but he was the Central Bank of Ireland governor, so he's well positioned. He's now their chief economist um, for the ECB. And let's remind ourselves, K- KBC pulled out, Ulster pulled out, Dansk Bank pulled out. Yeah, they're the you Danish know, company, yeah. Why have they all pulled out? But the, the gist of the story is that we need more competition. At the moment, if you give your bank in Ireland €50,000, they can go and lodge it with the ECB. And if I'm not mistaken, they get about 4%. They pay you half a percent. Something wrong there. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I go and give the ECB my 50 grand directly? But um, I understand that, um, you know, this is now for instant access to cash. If you put your money in for six months or one year or two years, you certainly get better rates. But at the moment, the three Irish banks, they're paying out one third of the EU average for instant access. Why is that? Is there not huge pressure on these banks politically, Susan, to change that at this stage? There is, and that's why we can also see from Alan Healy's story is this is partly the reason why the government is going to extend the bank levy. 
because they are, of course, receiving these these major profits. And on top of that as well, there has been uh, windfall taxes that the Italian government and also Spanish and Lithuanian governments have been deciding to, to implement. But what I would say on this is a couple of things. First of all, if you are like Bob with your 50 grand and it's looking for a home, um, go to consumerhelp.ie and there there is a, an interest rate calculator that will show you the best available rate according to what you need. So that's what you'll do, Bob, now and that Thank one was you. for free. Um, the second <laughs> thing I want to say is that um, in Ireland today, we save about one euro for every seven euros and 14 cents that we earn. So our savings ratio is around about 14%. So this is a very real issue and not everybody wants to put their money at risk, whether that might be at the stock market or into property. So it is a very significant issue. But we also need to look at the other side of this, which is interest rates when you're borrowing. And I found it interesting. I looked at the most recent credit demand survey available. The average SME has outstanding debt of €427,000. 55% of all SMEs outstanding debt is to these retail banks and 40% of SMEs have no debt at all with construction and business services having the lowest debt levels. So this needs to be looked at from both sides. But I think definitely political pressure and competitive pressure and probably ECB pressure will lead to increasing interest rates. Well, am I right in saying that the the take from the bank levy is is going to be hugely reduced because there's less banks now contributing to it. Yes, and the number... Am I also right in saying that, you know, a windfall tax might sound like a good idea, but if it, if it affects the share price of the bank, which it effectively will, it, it, that could also be uh, something that wouldn't be good news. So the numbers there is that uh, the amount collected through the bank levy was 150 million per year and that now is due to lead to 87 million on the part of, uh, uh, because of of KBC and uh, and Ulster Bank. The, the other way of looking at this though is that the money in this case, Bobby, will go from the bank into the tax payers purse, namely the exchequer, whereas if the consumer or the saver got more interest rate, that money could be more effectively deployed in the economy anyway. Yeah, yeah. And again, it, yeah. It, it links into inflation and all that other good stuff. Let's look at one of the, uh, one of the businesses featuring this weekend uh, in terms of their trading performance. Uh, Kingspan, Bob, um, a company uh, that is making serious profits, but they're, they're saying that they're uh, warning of a challenging environment despite record profits of $436 million, uh, already this year. This is a, a good news story by one of the great companies in Ireland that has managed to break through that glass ceiling and scaled internationally, you know, from, from I presume, humble beginnings in, in Cabin. They're now a global business. I mean, just to put the numbers on it, this business does 4.1 billion in, in turnover. Uh, their profit they've just announced is 435 million. The, they've just uh, announced acquisitions for the first half of this year of 271 million. It's not quite at CRH levels, but this is a very, very big company very well run by Jean Murta and their shares are up 16%. And for people who, who know the name but maybe don't know what they do, their, their main product is insulation panels for construction, which is obviously with the, with the whole green agenda going forward. So um, And they've just made a huge acquisition in, in Germany. They've taken 51% of a German company called Styco. So, look, great company and this is a good news story and we need more of these types of companies. There's something I'd like to add to that and that is Emer mentioned twice, Emer Walsh mentioned twice here about the performance across Americas and the US within the group uh, were outpacing European activity. I think we also need to be aware of something else here. You mentioned CRH, Bob. There is then the question, could Kingspan list in the US as well? 
And if this was the case, if Kingspan was to go, it's already cancelled its, its London Stock Exchange listing. CRH is on the way. If there were other companies to go, there would be a big question then, of course, about the Irish Stock Exchange. We take in 300 million in stamp duty because if I buy shares today in Kingspan, I will pay 1% of stamp duty because I'm buying them in the Irish Stock Exchange. If I bought them in the US, of course, I would pay 0%. So I think it's just interesting here. I'm reading between the lines. If, if the US is where the business is at, is that where the shares could be? And then that could have other implications for us as a nation as well as investors in the company. Yeah, good point. Uh, absolutely. Now, what about uh, an article in today's uh, Daily Mail, which I, I have to say brought me back and uh, really made me think a little bit. It's about the hollowing out of our main street. It's a two-page spread on thirty, page 30 and 31 of the Irish Daily Mail. Um, across Ireland... Our once bustling main streets are dying as local businesses struggle to survive against a backdrop of online shopping and homogenous shopping centres. Um, thought-provoking, but one of the things that comes clearly out from Jenny Friel's piece is that this is an international trend. This is not just Ireland. As she cites uh, the US, where there was 2,500 um, shopping malls, that's down to 600 and they forecast there's only going to be 150 left by the end of the decade. Um, also in the UK, uh, 6,000 shop fronts have closed in the last five years. So, you know, that, that doesn't make it any better. But it does, It I think we there's a realisation there that we have to repurpose uh, these streets and we have to reimagine them. I, I think that that is the case. It, this is a trend and in many ways the trend is happening because of positive things like e-commerce enables people to be able to set up their businesses without a cost that comes with, with bricks and mortar. It comes to the fact, like Bobby, if we were here 15 years ago, we would have been talking about the traffic in small towns across Ireland where you couldn't park and then you couldn't get to the shops, etc. So, of course, by bringing things out into ring roads, that that changes things. And then, of course, the, the cost of parking. Then you have the pandemic when we, when we trained ourselves, basically, to <coughs> buy things more online. And I think there's a demographic shift there. Where this is going is people today want the experience economy and it's pointed out in Jenny's piece here when you look at Clonmel or you look at Carlow or any of the other areas is people will go for the gourmet experience they will go to cafes but you have to have a reason to get them there. On the other hand we also need to think about as well is because of the more the higher nature of e-commerce today is that two things I'll point out here number one is we import an awful lot of things through e-commerce because Irish businesses aren't present enough online. And that's why the trading uh, the trading online vouchers and various other supports like that are available from the local enterprise office. And the second thing is, is that now because we have become more uh, device agnostic, whether we're using our laptops or, or our mobiles as well to be able to buy and sell, all of these things are affecting how we make decisions about where we need to sure. go. So I think we need to, mm. yes, this is happening, but from a business point of view, we need to consider how we can deal with this in the best way. Bob, this is not only a rural thing. Um, the, the same article mentions two shops in Ratgar, uh, a butcher's and a, a, a takeaway uh, that closed last week as well. So it, it, this is right across society. Oh, it's a trend. And uh, mm. David, sorry, Arnold Dillon, the director of Retail Ireland, goes on to say that uh, the UK is... Uh, going down the same road that the US and the, the problem here isn't as acute as the UK but we are following the UK so once we've we've all agreed this is the trend we have to look at how 
provincial Ireland, which I'm now a member of, I moved down to Wicklow Town, as, as people know, I'm stunned that Clonmel, because I go there twice a year, and it's a really bustling town. It's a big population centre, some big uh, employers like Bulmers and others. And I'm just stunned that this particular article uh, by Jenny Friel has this one street where 16 of 18 shops have closed. This could be the solution. If we admit that retailing has changed and we'll not go back to the way it was, maybe we just need to concentrate on services. Amazon can't cut your hair. So maybe the, the high street should be cafes, well, cobblers, hair, nails. I, I think that is, is one part barbers. of the solution. The second part that I firmly believe in is that you allow people to live in these places. So you make those buildings, you repurpose them however you do it. Yeah. Uh, so that people can live there. Live because above the shop. People will, people will create commerce. Yeah. The virtue of the fact that they're there. Yeah. They will need to do things yeah. like get their hair cut or whatever. It yeah. is. Opticians. You but know, instead uh, of living above the shop, turn the shop because it's no longer a shop yeah. In, yeah. into a building. I mean, the, uh, into into housing because we have a chronic rental shortage, but not necessarily a building immediate shortage. So that that could be do- something could be done about. Uh, finally, uh, can I ask you about your? Thoughts on the job stopper tattoo, uh, Susan? Uh, I don't notice any ink coming up your neck or anything like that. There. Well, if I went home How to my mother and I had ink coming up my neck, believe me, Bobby, you would be the last person I'd have to worry about. <laughs> so this is an interesting article in today's Irish Times on page nine that basically talks. Um, I think it referenced uh, some incident in Templemore earlier in the week where uh, some guards were stood down because of visible tattoos, but. You know, having a tattoo, you know, if we think back 20 years and we think today, I think our tolerance or our acceptance of, you know, of this kind of art is has moved hugely from where it was. Now, maybe it is further to move, but it, it's... It's it's radically different, I'd suggest, than it was 20 years ago. I think Tracy Keevans from Morgan McKinley articulates this very well in this piece where she says businesses particularly concerned with diversity, equity and inclusion targets are more open in their approach and they see tattoos as a form of expression. She says, it's a matter of preference. I personally, I, I don't have tattoos. I, it, it's not part of my plan. Again, in case said mother is listening. <laughs> but I, I will I will say that I do know that they, they are a very important form of expression for, for some people. All right. And I think that that needs to be acknowledged. What I think it, it's interesting, obviously, with the, the story uh, that developed out of Templemore this week is to look around the world and to see what else is happening. Britain's Defence Forces relaxed its policy in 2014, so it permits tattoos on the back of a recruit's necks and anywhere else that would not be visible in a passport photo. So I think, you know, there's there's parameters here and I think the term job stopper is one that one might remember. Guys, I'm just back from a beach holiday. Can I tell you one thing? Walking along the beach, they look great on young bodies. On older bodies, it looks like crumpled newspaper. If I had money to invest in a future boom industry, it's tattoo removal. You heard it first on News Talk. All right, folks, thanks for a great review of the papers. Susan Hayes Culleton, Positive Economist, uh, Managing Director of Hayes Culleton, and Bob Hoffman of Vista Executive Search. Thanks for a great review thanks, of the business stories. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr on News Talk.